0: All right, let's open up in prayer as we look at our message today. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and guide and show us what we're going to see. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going into Genesis 2. Yeah, finally getting into Genesis 2. (laughs) Genesis 2 is one of the places when people will tell you that there's contradictions in the Bible. They'll point to Genesis 2. Uh, and right, I'm going to deal with that right off because it's not another creation story. It's more detail to the story. It would be like you going out and telling somebody, yesterday I went to Kingman. And then you went to the next person and told them, yesterday I went to Walmart and Smith's and, and, and Walgreens. All right. You, both of them are the same statement. You just told one person a whole lot more information about your trip than the other person so we look at this and God is just going through and detailing and it's really gonna show the importance of man right in chapter one he said let us make man in our own image and then we're gonna find out how detailed that event was if we get that far in chapter 2 today so starting in verse 1 in chapter 2 thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in that he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created in all the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and every plant to the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field, before it grew, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and breathed into him the nostrils into his nostrils, the breath of life, and God and man became a living soul. We're going to stop there for just a moment, because it starts out with. God's worked for six days, and he rested on the seventh. Now, the kind of curious things that makes us go, why did God rest on the seventh day? Do you think God exhausted himself in six days and had to rest? No. He did it for one big reason, because he was going to tell man that we needed to rest. All right? And so he says, work for six days and take a rest. And this is something that is very important for us as human beings to realize God has created us with the need to take time off. And I've heard people go, well, you know, I work really hard even at home on my day off because I enjoy it. God didn't say don't work because you enjoy it. He said don't work and focus on him on that day. And it's very important. Uh, if you've taken the Truth Project with us, Del Tackett said that God said, you know, he gave them a day off so they'd quit playing and focus on him. Because before the fall, life was so easy, it was play. They get to play and God says, one day a week, I want you to stop and focus on me completely. And we need that time where we just stop and focus on God. And we're getting away from it in our generation. Uh, We're so busy on our day of rest that we're not even resting usually on our day of rest. And it's very important that we find, and psychology tells us that we need time to just rest. Now, all they had to do was read the second second chapter of uh, Genesis, and they would know that we were created to need a day of rest. So we we want to be into this, and I really want to encourage you, find a day where you take and rest. You know, it's hard for me because Sunday is not my day of rest. (laughs) Uh, matter of fact, none of, none of my days are a full day of rest, but I, t- have, I have a couple days where I at least take the evenings off, and I'd love to get to the place where I have a day of rest, but right now I have two jobs. <laughs> so it doesn't, it's hard to rest when you have two jobs. But I purpose to rest a couple evenings a week where I just take time and say, this is just a day of or evening of rest. And we need that. Even us people who are workaholics need to rest. <laughs> All right, and I, I know I'm a workaholic. I love to I love to work. I almost killed myself in my younger days by being a workaholic, and not taking a rest for well over a year. And you know we do need those times where we just sit back and stop. And God set that example, not because He needed to rest, but He says this is the example. I am going to stop resting. And I don't know how many of you have ever had jobs. I've had several jobs where. You know, there's an old statement, if you love the job you're doing, you never work a day in your life. I've had several jobs, at least at the beginning of them, that I love so much that it didn't feel like work to go there. And even then, you need to take and rest. Our body has to rest. It has to get this rest. And God set that example, and he said that he sanctified the day, which means he set it apart as holy. God desires that we have time that we just set aside for Him. Not just rest, but set aside for Him. And there used to be a time when you, you know, I can remember growing up. I lived a lot in the South and they had blue laws in the South. Nothing was open on Sunday. Nothing. You had the hospital and the police and the fire department and everything else was closed. And you could not open. Uh, 7-Eleven started in the south and they had locks in their doors because on Saturday night at midnight they had to lock their door and be closed until Monday night at midnight. All right? So we see this process that goes on and as we've gone more and more away from God's word, we're seeing more and more people working all the time. I can remember when it used to be tough to get something on a Sunday. We're on holidays, you know, I can remember the first Thanksgiving we had. We ran out of something trying to find that there was no store open on Thanksgiving. No store open on Christmas. No store open on Easter Sunday. Now we've got stores racing to see how fast they can open on those days. And we, we've got to be able to sit down and our world is getting less and less restful and more and more stressful because we don't take time to rest. And God created us with this need of rest and we want to be able to encourage people take that time find the time that you need to rest And if it's not sunday find a day that you can rest and i know for mothers it was always hard being a mother is a hard job you know and it's tough to get a rest resting day you know have to get your kids sitting down with you and reading a book or something to get get rest but you know we do need that time of rest and god said that we were And later on in Exodus, he's going to tell the people that the Sabbath day is holy, and he's going to say, if anybody was found working on the Sabbath, they were to be killed. God took it pretty serious. And then there's an event in there where one guy went out to collect sticks for firewood, and he was stoned just for going out to collect sticks. So we want to be careful about obeying God because God says we need rest. He knows that we need rest. Then we went on to go on to continuing and he said that God finished all of his work and he rested. Then it says these are the generations of the heaven and the earth. Then it goes back through that God created the plants on day three, you know, before everything happened. And it has a very interesting statement in there. It said that it did not rain, but mist came up out of the ground and watered the earth. Now, we know that that was true of that first part, and many believe that it was true all the way till the days of Noah, that when Noah came, they had never had rain before. Can you imagine trying to be Noah, and if that is true, that there has never been rain, preaching that rain was going to come, and then go, what's rain? That's, that's water falling down from the sky. Uh, that's never happened before. How many times has God done something that has never happened before? We just sang the song that God loved us so much that he sent himself to die on the cross for us. Never happened before and never will again. He died for our sins. At Mount Sinai, he wrote the Ten Commandments on the the stone plates, the original ones. The ones that Noah broke when he came down off the mountain because the people were, were frolicking and and having an orgy and worshiping, worshiping the golden calf. God's never written anything that we know of uh, since then. He's done so many things that are novel. And we look at what he's done, and he says, I have done all of this. Then it says, he, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth, and he breathed life. Now if you remember from chapter one, everything that in chapter one he says, God spoke, God spoke, God spoke. And it comes to man and he literally takes time to say, okay, here's some dust. Let me form a perfect being from this dust. And then he breathed life, breathed a soul and a spirit into man. Man is three parts, body, soul, and spirit far as we understand, animals do not have a spirit. They have a soul. They're animated. They're alive. And they have a body. People go, well, do animals go to heaven? I don't know how to answer that because the Bible says nothing about animals going to heaven. Doesn't say anything about animals going anywhere after they die. So I don't know the answer to that. I've had people, well, well my beloved pet's got to be there. Well, if your beloved pet has to be there for you to be happy in heaven because Jesus isn't enough, then your pet will be there. Uh, I think Jesus will be enough for us when we get to heaven. But if if there's something that you just have to have to be happy, then God will make sure you have what you need. But I don't believe it's going to be our pets. (laughs) Uh, So we look at that, but God took time to form man as a special creation. Just as in chapter 1 it tells us we were made in his image. Nothing else was made in his image. The Father is is a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are a trinity type being. We have body, soul, and spirit. The only problem is without any one of ours, the other parts don't live. If our body dies, our spirit and soul are separated and we'll end up in eternity with God or in hell. Uh, So we have ours is inseparable isn't able to be separated as the Father Son and the Holy Spirit can do three different things at the same time and yet they're one and we don't understand it it's an amazing concept and we've taught on the Trinity on several occasions and my comment is always the same thing for when we talk about the Trinity I can tell you what the Bible says about the Trinity and you'll not understand it any better when we're done than when we started it's a concept we can't get into our brain and I have said you I've always told you that's a good thing if I can understand everything about God, that there is to understand about God, then he's not big enough. I would be God. If I can understand everything about God, then I would be God. There has to be things I can't understand about God because he has to be bigger than me. He has to be bigger and more complete than we can comprehend of. The Trinity is one thing. How big God is, is another one of those, compl- those things. You know, we talk about him being omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same moment. And you know, all I've, I've taught you all that he's not just every, everywhere present, he's every time present. He encompasses time. And if there's something beyond time, he encompasses that as well. And if there's something beyond that, he encompasses, you know, if there's 20-some 20, 20 dimensions, as was theorized by, by physicists, God is still in all of those at the same time. <coughs> because he's bigger than everything. So however big you think God is, you're too small. However strong you think God is, you're too weak. And I have a pretty big image of how big God is and how strong he is, and I'm still not even touching how big and strong he is. So just be aware that he has to be more than anything we can imagine, or he's not God. If we can imagine what he is and put him in a box, and he fits in that box, he's not God. If we try to put God into a box, he just steps out of the box and says, that box isn't big enough for me. You know, you're, you don't have a big enough box, and I'm going to show you that I don't fit into boxes. Yeah. Anytime we think God has to do something or do be some way, he'll show us that he doesn't have to do anything. Now, the one thing we know is he's not bad and he's not evil. He'll never do any sin. He will never lie because he tells us that. But outside of that, there's things that we can't be able to say, God, you all always do this. Because the moment you think you understand God and know God, he's going to prove to you you don't know him. In ways that you don't even will just blow your mind when you go, I never thought that would be the way God would work. And it's amazing to watch God work and see how he fits things together. The Jews never believed that Jesus would come, that God would come down to this world, become a man in the lowliest fashion and die on a cross. Even though the Bible talks about it over and over again all through the Old Testament, that he was going to die on a, he, that he was going to die and for our sins, and that he was going to come back and, and be the leader of the world. But they never caught that, because it just didn't make sense to them. How could God die? Doesn't make sense? It doesn't even make sense to us in many ways. And yet he did because he wanted to be that sacrifice for us, because he knew we could not pay the debt we owed. And if you really think about this, what debt do we owe God? When we sin at all, we owe a debt that we cannot pay because God's standard is perfection. We can't pay for our sin, which is why Jesus came down to this world to die for our sins. So that we would be able to spend eternity with him. Because he knew we couldn't pay the debt, so he said, fine, I'll pay it for you. He paid the dead, and all we have to do is accept the gift that he holds out and say, God, I want you to be my Lord and my master. Come into my life. Take this burden and cleanse me. And I hope those of us that are saved remember what it was like to get saved and have that burden lifted off and have that changed heart come in and know I'm, I'm, I have a new life. I have a new life that God has exchanged my old one. And then you cross that line and you literally start serving him and working for him. Not to get to heaven, but just because God has changed you so much, you want to serve him. And it's a very powerful event that can happen in our life. And God says he formed him, man out of the gar- ground, and he breathed life into him. So far he has not created Eve. We don't know how early in the day that he created man. First, he creates all the animals. Then he creates man, and it's. Then he goes in and describes, and this is kind of an interesting interlude here. The God in verse eight goes, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground God made to grow every tree and pleasant in the sight and good for food, and and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to the to water the garden, and there. From thence it was pardoned and became four heads and it came first to the the Pisan and that is which covers the whole land of Havithal where there is gold and the, and the land of that and the gold of that land is good and the Bidelium and the onyx stone and the name of the se- second river was the Gihon and then same as that which compassed the whole land of Ethiopia and the name of the third is Hiddekel, that is that which goes out east of Assyria, and the fourth river was is Euphrates. And God took man and put him in the garden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of the, every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for it in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So we see that God made a perfect garden for man, In that garden, he planted all the trees that were good, and he put two special trees in it. Two special trees the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It talks about many rivers out there, and you know, many people have talked about over the years how where these rivers are do they still exist? I'm going to tell you, no, they don't. How do I know? There was a great big event in this world that that covered and changed the entire face of the earth called the Great Flood of Noah. It covered everything 15 feet deep on the highest mountain and would have changed every river out there, every place, every land. So you go, well, why are these rivers still, still in existence today? Well, when they came into America and started naming all the cities and the rivers, they used the names that they were used to back east. You know, we we have all kinds of rivers that are named after the European rivers. We have cities named after the European uh, cities, and they're not the same cities. (laughs) The people got off the ark. They knew that these names were out there, and they go, well, that kind of reminds me a little bit of the Euphrates. We'll call that the Euphrates. Because the four rivers they named do not come anywhere close to each other in today's world. So they're not the same rivers. They're not the same places. People go, where's Eden? I have no idea. It got buried. It got destroyed by a flood and probably no longer exists as, as much as none of those other cities exist anymore. So don't try to find them on the map because you're not going to. They were wiped out. They were destroyed. The entire topography of the world was changed by the Great Flood. So don't go out there trying to find these rivers and saying, oh, we, fixed, we found out where Eden is. Because I've, I've read the guys where they've extended the rivers they think were each one of these rivers. And I go, here's where they meet. So this had to be where Eden is. Well, I don't know. I have no idea if they're even close to where Eden was. So just be aware that I, the flood changed everything. But it says that God created this garden, put man in it, and gave him only one rule to do. It says, Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat it, you will die. Very important to understand, it was not a, you may die, you might get away with it, you might not get away, but in the day that you eat it, you will die. And we see that Adam was given this rule and didn't listen very well. We're going to find out in chapter 3 that he didn't pass on the information very well to Eve, and Satan took advantage of that in, a, in quite a way. But God will put him in it, and he says, you've only got this one rule, and then we see, very interesting, in chapter 1, everything that God created, he said, it is good. In verse 18, it says, and God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help met, help met for him. And out of the ground of the, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl and brought them to Adam and to see what he would name them. And whatsoever Adam called every creature that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the earth and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found one met for him. So God says Adam's all alone. This is not a good thing that Adam is alone. Why is it not good? Well, all the animals had had their mates. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had each other. And Adam has nobody. So God brings all the animals to Adam and Adam gives them names. Why did God do this? Probably to make Adam realize that he was alone. There was nobody like him and probably give him a great longing. I'm looking for the one that is like me. Because Mr. Tiger and Mrs. Tiger came along. Mr. Elephant and Mrs. Elephant came along. The same thing with the beavers and everything else that he's naming. Every one of them comes by in two and he's looking around and going, there's nothing like me. That would give him a great longing for this great event. And God says, I need to make somebody for Adam. And it says that God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof. And of the rib God, which God had taken from the man, he made a woman and brought her unto him. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. The supernatural creation of woman was even more different than Adam's. Adam was made out of the dust, and God says, I'm literally going to take part of Adam and make a woman. God performed the first surgery out there and cut the man open, took a rib and turned it into a woman. And this is something that we look at. Adam has been around now for less than a day, realizing he's alone. I can't imagine how how hard it was for Adam to be able to name every animal. I I had hard enough him with with my wife trying to name four kids. I can't imagine trying to name hundreds of You know, maybe a 1,000 different animals coming along and giving them all names. And he gave them all names. It tells us he's very smart, very imaginative. And God brings Eve to him. What a special moment. And why did he bring it? Not that he would rule over her, not that he would be able to abuse her, that she would be a helper to him. Somebody that would be a comfort to him. Somebody that would be like him that he could communicate to. What does Satan try to do with everything that's out there? Instead of doing the good, he tries to subvert it. And part of this is the curse that we're going to look at in chapter 3. But, you know, we have this problem that men and women were created and women were to help men and be their helper. Yes, God's going to put man in charge, but that's you know, when you're in charge, it doesn't mean you have a ruler and dictatorship going on if you're smart. When I was in business and, and being manager, I oftentimes would get opinions from people on what they thought was good. Now uh, I still had last decision. Somebody has to have last decision and last call. And when we fall under that obedience and that, that subjection, we are doing good. But he took the rib from Adam's side. Adam's wife was taken from his side. And I'm going to tell you that was one many years ago I heard the greatest illustration. The church was taken from Jesus' side too. They launched a spear right up underneath his ribs and blood and water flowed out. And out of that came the church. We were taken from God's side as well for his church. His bride was taken from his side. So this is a picture of the future as well. The church being taken out of God's side and Adam was the picture of that so we see here she's brought to him and Adam's response is quite interesting especially when you get deeper into this because Adam's answer is a little different than what it reads you know here it says and Adam said this is now bone of my bones and when, when you read it in there it says now already at last <laughs> this is bone of my bone this is me he, you know it's almost wow i've got my i've got what i've been looking for all day <laughs> you know and you know it's his first day so he's, it, the first day is a long day for him you know for us if you can remember you know as, as we get older each day seems less and, uh, goes by a lot faster can you remember back when you were a kid and it seemed like christmas never came you're waiting forever for christmas nowadays we get to and i'm getting at that age where it's old enough and i can't imagine where i'm at with some of you where it seems like didn't we just have christmas last month <laughs> and is already here again. Didn't I just have a birthday? Didn't we just have New Year's? You know, Adam's day is pretty full. For him his perspective, it's, been a, it's his first day. <laughs> now he's been full grown and he's able to think and, con- and contemplate all this stuff, but at the end, toward the end of that day somehow, here comes the woman and he says, all right, I've seen all these other animals and I've been here all by myself and I've never seen anything like me Here she is, and I can guarantee that that, uh, Eve was probably the most beautiful woman that has ever been created, at least from from Adam's eyes. (laughs) He looked at her and said, this is is the perfect woman because she was created literally for him. And he goes, now at last, (laughs) now already at last, this is the one from me. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And she will be called woman because she was taken out of me. God instituted marriage. And it's Adam that gets to t- say, he goes, now therefore. And I have always wondered how he knew what a mother and father was at this point. This tells you how smart he is and how, how much God had taught him even in one day. But he said, man and a woman will leave their mother and father, especially man. And will be joined together as one. This is the critical point that we have with marriage. God created marriage. He created marriage to be forever. One man, one woman for life. Now we're going to read and Jesus was asked, well, why did Moses say that we could divorce? And God, why did Jesus tell him? Because of your hard hearts. (laughs) You don't want to forgive for adultery. You don't want to love people. So I give you that ability to do it but it's not the way God wanted it to be. We live in a day where divorce is easy. You know, we live in a day where you just don't like each other anymore. You just say, you oh, don't like each other, we're going to get divorced. And that's really changed in just, this life, just most of our lifetime. It used to be really hard to get a divorce. You know, watched a movie the other day It was set in the 1800s, and they go, we're really having a problem with divorce in our country. 5% of the families have divorce. Nowadays, we're at 50 or more people getting divorced because they're not doing things God's way. They're they're saying, well, we don't like each other anymore. We're going to get divorced. And it's really easy not to like each other. If anybody's been in a marriage for a long time, you know that there's lots of times when you might not like each other. You know, those come and go. Our feelings come and go. Our desire is, am I going to follow God. Am I going to be obedient to God? I love it when I meet people who've been married 50, 60 years. And you start talking to them and they'll talk, and they they'll tell you about the times that they didn't like each other. <laughs> you know, if you were in love for that entire time, it would be tough. Number one, I don't think it could happen that you had the feelings for love. Now, ideally, we want our feelings of love to come together at the same time once in a while. <laughs> they don't always do that either. But, you know, If we're following God, he says, I have created you to be joined together. And this joining together, when he says that they were to cling to one another and become one flesh, literally means that they were glued or soldered together. If you've ever done any kind of gluing of stuff or soldering of things, the solder and the glue is stronger than the material that is glued to it if if it's worth anything. If you take a good wood glue and you stick two pieces of wood together and then you try to separate those pieces after a couple of days, it's not the glue that breaks. You'll get them broken eventually, but you tear up the wood in the process. Now, yes, you can put a chisel and all that, but if you just try to tear them apart, they're gonna tear and that's exactly what happens when people get divorced. Their lives are torn apart. And there's a ragged edge where the divorce hits. Will God forgive it? Absolutely. He'll forgive divorce. But there's a consequence. We see this over and over. Sin has consequence. I've met many people who have been divorced for 15, 20, 30 years, and they still have an angry spot in their heart for the person that they were supposed to be married to forever. They may get over most of it, But when they start thinking about that person, they think about the promises that were made, that were broken, there's a bitterness. And it's even worse when there's kids involved and they have to keep in touch with one another. So we want to keep in mind, we want to do things God's way. God instituted family. He instituted marriage. Satan is working hard to destroy marriage in our day and age. First it started with easy divorce. Now we're facing the whole problem where they're trying to redefine marriage, period. All right? Marriage doesn't have to be one man, one woman. It can be a man and a man, a woman and a woman, we're trying to be told. And you know, when that started, hap- started happening, the very thing that happened after that, within just a couple of months, people were going, well, if it can be man and man, why can't it be man and my pet? And those came out. And we knew that it would. Because once you stop breaking God's standards, how do you define marriage? God says, one man, one woman. And we're having people coming up with all kinds of strange things. It was bad enough with homosexuality, and then we started getting into bestiality, and who knows where it's going to stop. We're already seeing the push now for the whole polygamy to come back because, hey, if, if there's no rules for, for uh, marriage, then we might as well just go Whatever. It's gonna happen because Satan does not like the picture of marriage. God created marriage. He put it in there for a reason. And the biggest reason is because it's a picture of Jesus and his bride, the church. And saying, I have espoused my bride. So if he can, if Satan can redefine marriage, he takes away the picture. He's worked hard to destroy the, the picture of a mother and a father because God describes himself as father. I have met met and talked with so many people and I'm going, God wants to be your father. And they go, I don't want a father. You know, I know what fathers are. No, we're not talking about the bad father that you had. We're talking about a good, loving father. But Satan has worked hard to destroy the pictures that God uses to describe himself. And this is very important for us to understand as a church. We need to encourage people, follow God's standards. Follow his standards. You know, God says He hates divorce. Why? Because it tears apart lives. It tears life apart and God says, you've torn apart what I have put together. Don't tear it apart. Yes, He allows it for adultery and that's a, you know, God says, you know, adultery is okay because that person has abandoned their, their things, but He doesn't say it has to happen. And I understand it would be very hard to forgive adultery and that God says you can do it there. But he says, don't separate each other just because you don't like each other. Because you're having a hard time. Because true love is a choice. This is one of the things I talk about when I counsel people who are wanting to get married. True love is a choice. Most people really aren't in love when they get married. And that's why they get divorced. Because they were never in love in the first place. They were infatuated with each other. They were in lust with each other. And then when the newness of the infatuation and the lust wears off, they come back in three, four years later and say, we never loved each other. And they're speaking the truth. They never did love each other. They never made a choice. God's love is unconditional love. It is objective love. It is a choice. He chooses to love us. And we wouldn't want it any other way. He says, I love you. And because he chooses to love us, he will never not love us unless he chooses not to, love, uh, not to love us anymore. And because he does not change, that is not going to happen. God has chosen to love us and we are his. Marriage has to be based upon that same thing. We choose to love each other. Then when we go through the hard times, says, well, I don't really like you anymore, but I still choose to love you. I still choose to love you. I'm going to stick together with you because I'm, I'm, I love you and I'm not going to break that, that bond. And then you get back, you get your feelings back after a while. And so we look at this. God put them together and they were one flesh. They were one. <laughs> you know, not physically, but they were of one mind, one thought, one in essence. God looked at them as being one And then it says, they were both naked and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. This is really talking about the innocency of it. There are many, many scholars that really believe that they weren't actually naked, that they were clothed in God and the light of the righteousness of God. I'm not going to go into that, but it does have, there are a lot of ways that that word is used. And we even have that type of. Type of attitude that the person is naked before the court, you know, they weren't standing without clothes on, but every bit of their motives were being brought out. All right. And that is possible what this means, but they had no shame. They were in full innocence and recognizing that they weren't ashamed of what they had. And we want to be able to look at this God's love for us. He created mankind in a special creation. He created marriage. And is—and is, it's the first thing he's created for man is marriage. You know, We're going to go into family, government, all these other things. But he created marriage first. And that relationship is one of the things Satan is trying hard to destroy. We need to keep these things in mind as we look at what's going on around us. And Satan's battle to destroy what God has created, which is why we're doing this series in Genesis, because God started everything and he put it in place and he has the right way to do it. And Satan tries to destroy it with all these wrong things. Will God forgive us when we violate his rules? Absolutely. That's why Jesus died so that we could be forgiven. And, you know, I know it's hard, and I know that many people that are hearing, the, <clears throat> hearing this have been divorced. God still forgives. He still can use somebody who's been divorced. There's consequences for and be aware. There's consequences for every time we violate God's rules, there are consequences. But God says, I still love you. I still forgive you. I still want to use you. And just be aware, because we're going to talk about a whole lot of things that lots of us have done wrong. <laughs> That God has put in place. He still loves us. And we're not accusing anybody of anything. We're just saying this is the way it's supposed to be. Turn to God for re- in repentance and turn to Him so He can use you if you violated any of these things. Because that's what He wants. He wants, first off, for us to know that we're sinners so that we'll turn to Him and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Because without Him, we're not going to heaven. Doesn't matter how good we are or how bad we are, without Jesus we go to hell. Because by God's standards, we're all not perfect. And that means he's over over here on on the west coast and you have to go all the way around the world several dozen times and you still won't be close enough to compare God's goodness and standard to us. He is that far separated from us. When we sin, we separate ourselves completely from God. And it takes the cross of Jesus Christ to bring us into relationship with him. We cross over by the cross, and we are saved, and we have a different life. We have a different way of thinking. He resurrects our spirit, and we become a triune being in there that will spend eternity with him in heaven. Very powerful as we look at this. All right. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, we thank you that we are a special creation, which brings great value to our life. We're created in your image. that gives us a reason to, to live for you, that we are yours and that you created the institution of marriage. And Lord, help us to never do anything to diminish that relationship. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this message online that doesn't know you, Lord, we ask that today they will recognize they're a sinner and ask you to come in and forgive them. A simple prayer, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my heart and forgive me and dwell in my life and change me. And we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen.